You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. I am really excited to be able to open up God's Word with you today. Uh, So if you have a copy of of a Bible uh, with you, I invite you to turn it to page, uh, turn it to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, we're going to be in chapter 41 today. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, don't worry about it. You can take that Black Pew Bible right in front of you uh, and turn it to page 601. You'll be able to follow along as we just work through a portion of God's Word today. Um, we, we just believe here, here at Grace that, that God's Word is important. And yes, while m- many of the verses are going to be up on the screen, there is nothing like being able to hold it yourself and be able to read through it and, uh, as, uh, as I preach. We, we feel like that's very, very important. So I would encourage you to open up God's word with me today. So as we walk through the book of Isaiah, um, there's two major themes within the book. Pastor Mike already, already mentioned it. Chapters 1 through 39, uh, we see God as this sovereign king in charge of the entire universe, who, who, who orchestrates history, who sits on the throne, who is sovereign and majestic. And, and the first 39 verses really are God's judgment and condemnation on the, nations, on the nation of Israel and the surrounding nations as well. But as you read, you hit Isaiah 40 and something changes. Um, instead of this, this tone of, of condemnation and judgment, um, God changes to this tone of, of comfort and love. Isaiah 40, verse 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people with these words. And he goes on and explains what exactly, uh, where they can find comfort and hope in. And in, in chapters 40 and 41, over the past couple, couple weeks, we've seen God speak into very specific situations of, of his own people's lives and, and, and he gives them hope and comfort where, where they've needed it most. To those who were weary and hopeless and in deep despair, God promises protection and care. He says, I am your God. I will, I will care for you. Like, like, a, like a shepherd comes and, and takes care of his sheep, I will do the same thing for you. Last week, Pastor Mike preached on those people that are weary. How many of you guys have ever felt weary before? Yeah, we all have. There's times in our lives where we just feel like I have nothing left in my tank. God, I don't know if I can go on even another day. And God promises, like we saw last week, God says, I will renew your strength. I will lift you up on, on eagle's wings. I will be the strength that you need. But well, before we move out of Isaiah chapter 41, God speaks again to one other group of people. God speaks to people that are fearful and afraid. So before we dig into the passage, I want to I just talk about fear for a moment, just that we have a definition moving forward. And fear can be described as a distressing emotion that arises when a perceived danger or threat is present. Now, fear isn't always a bad thing, though. Um, there is some positive connotations when it comes to fear. Um, fear is what protects us and self-preserves us. 
Um, fear is what, if you step out into a busy street, if you're on the sidewalk and step out into a busy street and you see a, a car racing toward you, fear is what tells your brain at, and, and almost instantaneously you need to step back. You need to go back into safety. So there's a positive aspect of fear. There's a, there's a positive aspect of, hey, this is going to actually help me. This is a dangerous situation. But fear can also have this negative connotation as well. And while, and while fear can be used to protect us and preserve us, fear can be this debilitating emotion that makes us believe the worst will always happen and that God is nowhere to be found. If we let fear control our hearts and our minds, we will believe that the worst will always happen. I... I'm a fearful, a worrying person. And so often, as I'm going to share in just a moment, so often my mind will go to things that will never happen. Um, Ed, Ed Welsh, in a book that I'm going to mention in just a moment, um, says that fear makes us the worst kind of prophets. Because we, in our minds, we think that the worst is going to happen when in reality, 99% of those things will never happen. Some of you here are like, well, what about that 1%? Yes, there is that 1%. Bad things do happen. But when, we, but when we linger on those things, that's when fear can really take a hold of our lives. And I can't get into a whole lot more about it, but I do want to recommend a few resources on fear that have been helpful for me. Um, the first book is called Running Scared by Ed Welsh. It's Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. So Running Scared by Ed Welsh. Ed does this amazing job of first really defining fear in a biblical way, but then he just goes on and and describes how God answers um, all these different types of fear and and anxiety. So it's a a thicker book, but it's a really good read. I highly recommend it. And the second one is smaller, but also super, super helpful. This is simply called Anxiety, Knowing God's Peace by uh, Paul Totches. And it's a 31-day devotional for life. This is a whole series that they have on worry, anxiety, fear, whatever it may be. And what this is, this will lead you through through 31 days of gospel-centered, scripture-filled responses to how you and I can can trust the Lord more and not let fear win. So again, Running Scared by Ed Welsh and then Knowing God's Peace, I both highly, highly recommend them. But we're not here to sell books. We're here to preach the Bible today. So we're going we're gonna to get into that. Um, one of the most fearful moments of my life um, happened almost 10 years ago now. It will be 10 years next month. Uh, the day when my twin daughters were born. And so we, we'd already had my son Jackson. So I wasn't so much worried about the birthing process. Been there kind of done that or whatever, but th- this was different. Uh, because uh, we had twins, and the doctors had scheduled a C-section. They said it was just easier, safer, we're all about it. And so as the day came for Mel to give birth to our, to our girls, and so we went into the hospital. Everything was going as planned. Um, I was, got all of my scrubs and my hairnet and everything else, and the, they pulled Mel back into Back into the operating room, and they said, hey, Dave, you're going to be 10 or 15 minutes 
tops. We're going to go back there, get her numbed up, do, do the epidural, and then, and then we'll call you right back in. Like, all right, I can do 10 or 15 minutes. So for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was fine. I was sitting in the waiting room. I was watching the clock every single second go by. I've never watched the clock so hard in my entire life. Uh, but then 15 minutes passed. And then 20 minutes passed. The first 15 minutes, I was fine. At 20 minutes, my hands started getting really clammy. I started pacing back and forth. And it was 25. And then it was 30. And at that 30-minute mark, I'm just fearful thoughts just began flooding into my mind. I, would ask, I was asking questions like, what's taking so long? So was something wrong with, with one of the babies? Did the doctors make a mistake? Um, has something happened to Mel? Not only were these thoughts there, but then I began to like visualize in my head what, would, what were to happen. What would happen if I lost Mel? What, what would have happened if I lost the girls? And I literally visualized in my head that phone call of calling uh, Mel's parents or, or Mel's siblings, stating that we, we lost her. And all those other, all, all those other things that, that could have been. And finally, after the longest 35 minutes of my life, a nurse said that Mel was ready to go. They basically said, listen, your wife is five foot one. She's short and compact, and they could not get the epidural to work. So they had to stick her, I think, three or four times before it finally happened. It's like, you couldn't just have told me that beforehand. But we walked back, and within moments, we had uh, two beautiful baby girls. And so, but that, that 35 minutes um, just gave me a glimpse into what fear can do in the life of a believer. So oftentimes we think that fear and doubt and worry and all of those things are only for non-believers, but that, is, that cannot be farther from, from the truth. Fear is something that you and I all deal with, and God is going to speak into that, that subject today. So before we get into our text, I want you to understand what God's people were going through as well. So Isaiah 41 is written to God's people while living in captivity in Babylon. So we find them uprooted from their homes, hundreds of miles away. We find them surrounded by a culture and language that they did not understand. And there was so much uncertainty about, about their future. And out of the fear and doubt that many of God's people experience in Babylon, God speaks comfort and hope amid their fears. Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 10 says this. It says, But you, Israel, my servants, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servants. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Within these verses, friends, we see three truths God wants you and I to cling to when fear and doubt invade our hearts. First, the truth that God hasn't forgotten you. Second, that God's presence and power are with you every step of the way. And third, that, God's pro- that God promises to provide for you in the midst of your trouble. And church, I am convinced that the more that we understand and cling to these truths, the more that you and I can faithfully stand in the face of our fears. And as we walk through, through this passage, what I want to do, I want to identify three lies that fear wants you and I to believe and how God responds to to those fears through his spoken word. So the first lie, we're just going to jump right in. The first lie that fear is going to tell you is simply that God has forgotten you. See, one of the lies that fear will tempt you and I to believe is that God has forgotten or forsaken us. We think that God is either too busy to help or that we are too insignificant for God to care for us. And one of the reasons why I love the Psalms so much is that it puts into words so, so many things that you and I already feel. Psalm 13.1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is a psalmist David writing and saying, God, where are you at? God, how long? How long will you just forget about me? And so often when trials come, when troubles come, the first thing that fear wants you and I to believe is that that God has completely forgotten about you. God is off doing better things with people he cares for and loves for more than he cares and loves for you. Psalm 44, verse 24 says, Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? In this, in this psalm, the, the psalmist is replying that not only have you forgotten about me, but God, you don't even see what I'm going through. God, you're too busy doing other things, helping other people, and I'm here to fend for this whole thing by myself. And friends, if we're honest, so many of us, whether we have verbalized them or not, have felt that same way. God, where are you? God, why have you, for, why have you forgotten about me? And as the children of Israel wondered where God was, he answers them in verses 8 and 9. Look, look back with me on these two verses. This is God speaking. He says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not cast you off. I want you to notice a few things here in God's response to his people that are worried and fearful and anxious. First thing, notice notice what God calls them. What does God call his people in verse 8? Says, you are my chosen. You are my servants. You are the offspring of my friend. 
the first thing that God speaks to us in our fears is that, listen, not only have I not forgotten you, but we have a privileged relationship with the God of the universe. And God is saying to his people here, listen, I have covenanted with you. I have, I have chosen you. I am the one that chose Jacob to have this family and to, and to have a people that would serve me and accomplish my will here on the earth. And God says, listen, you need to be reminded of who you are. And so often when, when, we, when fear tries to make us believe and get us to believe that we've been forgotten, the first thing God says is, does is say, who do I say you are? says, you are my child. You are deeply loved. In fact, I loved you so much that I sent my only son who died on a cross and rose again so that you may have eternal life and so that we can have a restored relationship together. You are a joint heir with Christ, a citizen of the kingdom of God, and a deeply loved son and daughter. But not only does God remind us of our privileged position, God reminds his people here of what God has already done for them. And he says, I have gathered you from the farthest corners of the earth. And that, that, that could have meant when God called Abraham out of Ur and brought him into the promised land. It, it, could, it could mean... Uh, when God saved his people and brought them out of Egypt. But in either way, the, the message there is really, really clear that I will do anything for my people. And what fear does is that fear wants us to think that God has forgotten us. And the second thing that God says in response to that is think about what I've already done. Think about how I've already come through for you in your life. And if, and if your vision is so cloudy with doubt and fear, go back to the cross again. Go back to the sacrifice that Christ made. And so often people will say, well, God doesn't love me because he's not doing in my life what, what he's done in someone else's life. And the thing that I tell people over and over and over again is simply go back to the cross. If that's all we had, that would be enough. If that's the only thing that God has ever done for you, is to send his son to die in your place, that would be enough. But God in his graciousness and faithfulness has blessed us with so many other things. And sometimes in the midst of our fear and doubts and anxiety, we just, we just need to step back and say, what all has God done? And make a list. Make an actual physical list. If your family's going, going, going through a rough time, make it as a family. Mark it down. Write it in a journal. Keep it on your phone, whatever it may be. But make a list of what God has done. So we have Israel's privileged position. You are my chosen one. We have Israel's past. Look at all that I've done for you. And lastly, we just have this promise. 
I have not cast you off, Paul. I have not forgotten about you. You take it out of, out of Scripture and put it into more musical terms. Rick Astley probably did it the best. <laughs> Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. Never going to make you cry. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie and hurt you. I love that song. Like one of my favorites. It's a great political jargon as well. I want to see that on political stump someday, but this is it. And I'm not saying that doesn't, that doesn't stand in the face of Scripture, but it may be a good reminder. Man, when, when times are tough, this is what God has promised. I'm not going anywhere. I haven't forsaken you. And if I, and if I do, I'm going to let you know. But you know what? God doesn't, God doesn't break his word. So he says, I'm not going anywhere. So the thing that you and I need to remember simply is this, that God will never forget or forsake you. That God speaks to his people in the midst of their fear and doubt, and they're wondering, where, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And God said the first thing that you need to cling to is this idea that God will never forget or forsake you. God, that is a promise from your heavenly Father today. He knows you by name. He knows what you're going through. And he will not forsake his own. Hebrews 13.5. This is the Lord speak, speaking to, to us, to the church. And he simply says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So even though fear is going to tell you that God has forgotten about you and your pain, you respond to that with the truth of God's word and saying, no, no, no. My God says, he's not going anywhere. And I'm going to cling to that truth today. But the, the second lie that fear is going to tell you and I, and I believed it so often, is this idea that God has left you all alone. Have you ever noticed that when you have a bad dream, nightmare, have you ever noticed that you're typically by yourself? Right? You're typically by yourself. You're, you're trying to run away from something or some, some terrible thing has happened. Uh, for me, as a server at the Olive Garden, I have this recurring dream that I'm being sat with like 50 tables all at once, and everyone keeps, <laughs> get, keeps coming in. They keep giving me more and more tables, and I'm the only one in the restaurant that can serve these people food. It's a real thing. It's like <laughs> servers, like PTSD. This is just what we deal with. But normally in nightmares, in bad dreams, you're all alone. And I think fear does that. I'm not sure how they're connected. We're not going to get into all of that. But fear wants us, wants you and I to believe that we are separated from the presence and power of God. And that life, and that we need to take on the trials and troubles of life all by ourselves. And fear will just whisper over and over again, you are all alone. God has left you. There is no one here to help. God then responds in one of, I feel like, one of the most powerful 
parts of a verse in all of Scripture, and it simply says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Man. God sees our fears and our doubts, and God sees the tendency to believe that we're all alone, and he just puts it right out there and says, Fear not, for I'm here. That command, fear not, is, is the most used command by God in all of Scripture over 300 times. What does that tell us about ourselves? That we are a fearful people. That we tend to believe that we are all alone. And the, the thing about this command is it's not like it's not like the old school like father move where it says, suck it up, buttercup, put your big boy pants on and stop being afraid. That's not it. It's the picture. It's a picture of a dad who goes into their kid's room at night who's having a bad dream, who tucks them back in, puts their arm around them, and says, there's nothing to worry about. Says, I'm right here. The tone means everything here. God isn't calling us to pick us up by our own bootstraps. God is actually calling us to rely on him and his presence and his power to calm the fearfulness within our hearts. He promises his presence. But, but notice what God doesn't say here. Notice that God doesn't say, fear not, because I'm going to take away every hard thing that's going to come in your life. Fear not, because I'm going to make everything right for the rest of your life from this moment on. God doesn't say that. And actually, Jesus promises in John 16, 33, Jesus promises, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But he says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. So Jesus guarantees that hard times are going to come, but, but he reminds us is that, that God and his power and presence can overcome those hardships as we walk through them. A quote that, that I love from, from, from Julie Lau, a professor at CCEF down in Philadelphia, says, comfort isn't found in the absence of trouble. Comfort is the presence of God. in the face of trouble. God doesn't promise to take your hardships away. He may, and he may not. But God promises that he is going to walk with you each and every step of the way. So when fear tells you that you are all alone, listen to this promise from God. So when danger hovers over your life, like vultures circling a carcass, God promises he's there. And when death brings you to a graveside and you say goodbye to a loved one, God is with you there as well. And when discouragement smothers your joy, God says, I'm there too. And when you're discarded by others like garbage cast into a dump, I'm with you. And when destitution leaves you with nothing but 
crumbs in your cupboard and dollars in your bank account. He says, I'm there. I'm defeat has left you breathless like a kick in the stomach. God promises to be there too. But he goes on. Not only does God promise his presence, God promises his power. He says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. That, that word dismayed literally means looking around anxiously for something to save you. If you look at the context leading up to Isaiah 41, the passage that we're in today, verses 1 through 7, talk about the pagan nations that are, all, that, that are in this fearful uh, situation of another emperor coming and, and wiping out um, wiping out their towns and cities. And we see, them, we see them do two things to kind of find comfort and strength. The first one is found in verse 6, where it says that, that they band together. And they said, we're, we're stronger together. There's this communal, communal aspect of, hey, we're going to stand up against this thing together. We're going to find strength in numbers. And the, the other thing that, that they also did was that, was that they created idols. And they, they, they were just looking for someone and something to, to anchor their, their strength and their courage to. But God says, but you're not like them. You're my people. And so he said, and do not be dismayed. Do not look anxiously around for someone else to come and save you. Stop looking for substitute saviors to, to, to bring you comfort and strength. He says, I'm right here. So instead of turning to alcohol or, or sex or whatever, whatever addiction that, that you go to when times are hard and when your heart is fearful, God says, I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. Turn and follow and trust in me. God promises his presence, but he also promises his power. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 says, Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And he simply says, I'm going to be the one that can help. I'm going to be the one that's going to, that's going to walk with you through, through the fire of, of, of your trial and tribulation. You're going to find your ultimate hope and strength in me. So the truth that you and I need to cling to simply is this, that God's power and God's presence are with you. Fear will tell you that you're all alone and that you're not enough. But friends, God says that you are never alone and his power is enough. Lastly, the last lie that I want to talk about that fear will tell you and I today simply is this, is that God may be able to provide but he won't. There, there's, and seeing there's part of that, that that is true, right? Is God able to provide for your needs? Yes. Will he do it? Fear will say no. Fear says that just because God can do something, he doesn't love you enough or care about, about you enough that, you, that he's actually going to do it. Think, think about it this way. Steve Jobs, at a snap of a finger, can sign a check, and you can never work, you would never have to work again. Does he have the ability to do that? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. 
does he mean, does that mean that he's going to do that? Probably not. Steve, if you're watching this Facebook Live, you know where to find us. No, God's not good. Steve is Steve probably isn't going to do that. And that's what fear wants you and I to believe. Fear wants you and I to believe that maybe even if God is able to provide, he's not going to come through for you. But look at the end of verse 10. This is God's promise. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What word is repeated over and over and over again? Two words, I and will. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will rescue you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And God is saying, when you fear that you don't have the strength to go on, I will be, I will be the one to strengthen you. When you feel isolated, alone, and afraid, I will help you. And when you fear that your life is about to unravel, I will be there to hold you up. Even though fear tells you that there is no one coming to your rescue, God promises that he will. The thing that you and I need to cling to and remember simply is this, that God promises to provide. This is God's word, not mine. That God says, in your time of need, I will provide all that you need. Now, is he going to provide in a way that's going to take away the hurt and the pain? For some, yes. For others, no. But even for those who, who live with long-term illnesses, even for those who deal with, with health concerns and caring for other people, even though your finances may never be great and you are like, you are living paycheck to paycheck for the rest of your life. God promises that he's going to provide all that you need. And for some of us, part of God's plan for our lives is to live with that dependence and reliance on him for the rest of our lives. As we learn to grow and depend and to wait for God's work within our lives. But God promises it, so church, we're going to hold to it. That I, will I promise to provide and meet every need that you have. And church, God has a proven track record of taking care of, of his people. And the older I grow, the older I get, the more I've been able just to see God work. And something that I love about our church and something that I, I try to pursue often is, is have discussions with, with older people who have walked with the Lord longer than I have and listen to how God has worked. And listen to how God has provided. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. To point people back that we have a faithful and powerful God, a compassionate Heavenly Father who will meet and, and take care of all of our needs. So church, God promises to provide. So friends, if you are here today and you struggle with worry and doubts, and let's be honest, we all do, to some extent. 
none of us here can say, I've never worried or I've never been afraid. This passage calls us to do simply one thing. And this passage calls us to, to stop believing the lies fear tells us and start listening to the promises of our Lord. And simply put, that is, what God, that, that is what God called his people back in Isaiah 41, and that is what God is calling us to do today. To stop listening to the lies that fear tells us. The lies that, that God has forgotten you. The lies that you are all alone. The lies that God cannot provide for you. And listen to the promises of our Savior who says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That my presence and my power are going to walk with you through this hardship no matter what. And lastly, God's promise that I will provide for your every need. I'm not going anywhere. And I promise you that as you begin giving more, giving more of a priority within your heart to God's promises and God's word instead of the lies that fear tells us, that you're going to experience breakthroughs in, in your spiritual life. That you're going to learn to trust God more. That you're going to see him work and do things that you were never thought were possible that you're going to have the confidence of knowing that whatever I walk through this day, I am not walking, I'm not walking through it alone. That you can walk into some of the hardest situations of life with the confidence of knowing I'm not here by myself. My Heavenly Father is with me. And it's my prayer that you experience God's goodness and God's steadfastness in a brand new way this week. And as, as I close today, this message has been for God's people. It is, complete, it, is, it is addressed completely to God's people. And I would be remiss today if I did not mention that if you are not here today, and you don't have, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're, you're here checking out, checking out church, maybe for the very first time. Maybe you've never heard the message that God loves you and God sent his son Jesus to die for you today. No, one thing that we are so glad that you're here. We've been expecting and praying for you. But know also that the same faith, the same trust that it takes to stop listening to the lies of fear and start trusting in the promises of God, that same faith is what it takes to become a child of God and be welcomed into the family of God today. And it simply is believing three things. The first is, is believing and trusting what God already says about you, acknowledging your need for a Savior. See, God's, God's Word says, that you and I, everyone, that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. God is righteous and holy and perfect, and all of us have sinned. All of us have rebelled against God in some way. Something that we've thought, something that we've said, something that we've done. So we acknowledge that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. Second thing that we do is that we, that, is that we believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is. 
See, the Bible says that Jesus is the perfect son of God who came down and was born of a virgin who lived a perfect, holy, sinless life. Wasn't just a good teacher. He was God in the flesh. Not only did he live a perfect life, but he, but he died a perfect death as a substitute for you and I so that we wouldn't have to die in our sins. So you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he accomplished salvation on the cross. And lastly, you simply accept what Jesus says about eternal life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to God but believing and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about doing good works. It's not about coming to church. It's not about giving money to something. It's not about do, doing a bunch of good works and checking off boxes. It is simply faith and belief in what Jesus has already done for you. All over the Gospel of John, it says, whoever believes in him has everlasting life. So friend, if you're here this morning, and you've never made that, that decision, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, acknowledged that you were a sinner, believed who Jesus was and what he accomplished, and placed your faith and trust in him and him alone for salvation. I pray that today would be the day that you do just that. There's a couple things that, that you can do this morning. You can either grab an information package, it's right up front here, uh, they are free for the taking. They include a Gospel of John, which is an account of Jesus' life that points, that will point you to who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's taught and what, what he taught. There's also another book here that answers some of the biggest questions when it comes to salvation and eternity. We love to get one of these in your hands. You simply come up at, after the service, grab one, and you can be on your merry way. Or if you'd like to make that decision here and now today, I would love to have that conversation with you. Myself, Pastor Mike, Pastor Dan, um, people up front on, on, on our prayer team would love to be able to, to pray over you and have that conversation. And so if you're on the fence about placing your faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that you, make, that you take some, some step forward today on that. I'm going to invite the praise team up, and we're going to finish up. And I just wanted to um, close simply with this. That this message was one of the hardest I've had to put together. Because the more that I studied, the more that I prepped, uh, the more fearful, the more aware of my fear I became. And I want to close with this simply as church is that we love you and that we want to point you back to the hope that we saw in, in Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I ask you to stand. I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to sing one last song. So, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this day and for this passage of Scripture. I thank you for the comfort, God, and the hope that is there. And now, God, as I pray for our people, Father, I pray for those who are 
fearful and worried and afraid. God, I pray, Lord, that they would find their hope and comfort in nothing else but your power and presence within their lives. I pray, God, that they would stop believing the lies that they are alone, that they are forgotten, or that God isn't going to work on their behalf and cling to the truth, Lord, that you have not forgotten them, that you are, your power and presence is with them even now, God, and that you will provide and act on their behalf. God, give us victory Lord, when it comes to our fears. Give us comfort and encouragement, God. Let's walk through this journey together as we follow after our Savior. God, we love this church family here, and we pray your blessing over them even now. We pray all these things in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.